Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Our co-host, Charlie, is not here today, but I am joined by Connor Vasile, who is a contributor for Young Voices. Connor, how are you doing today? Good, Nate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, why don't you, uh, it's your first time on the show, so why don't you fill everyone in about yourself real quick? Thanks. So, hi everyone. I'm Connor Vasile. I'm a law student and contributor at Young Voices, where I talk on politics and current trends. And I'm just trying to get my voice out on uh, pro liberty topics. We had a couple articles in here to uh, to choose from today, and the first thing I wanted to bring up was the gun ownership in Israel. Now, this is something that right after October seventh happened. I think our second episode we talked about gun ownership in in Israel and some of their restrictions that they have, but why don't you let everyone know uh, about the general, the amount of people that have guns there, how, how tough it is to get guns and how that's changing now. Right. So uh, before the occurrence in October, you see this state in Israel where basically gun ownership was very much uh, not so common. You don't have it like 30% gun ownership in America. Uh, there are some variance in estimates, but right now uh, we believe it's around 2% of Israelis out of the entire 9.73 million population actually own a firearm. Obviously that's changed since uh, what happened on October 7th, but basically you had a populace that is surrounded by hostile neighbor states and terrorist groups uh, with what I believe would be a very, very small amount of their population actually owning and handling and training with firearms. Now that completely changed with October 7th, you find a lot more uh, individuals going out applying for firearms. You see the government la uh, creating lax um, policies and uh, retracting their restrictions on gun ownership and background checks so that more Israelis can own guns. And now we're actually seeing that uh, have a positive effect with more citizens that are actually being able to protect themselves. I've always heard a lot of, about problems between Israel and and uh, Gaza and Hamas. Obviously, they've been going on for a long time. I w personally was surprised uh, by their lack of gun ownership and some of their restrictions that they have. Were you surprised about that also? Yeah, I I always thought that they would have at least some semblance of security for, for the citizenry. But apparently, yeah, they before what happened, they didn't really have that much in terms of uh, firearm ownership, which was pretty shocking considering the, the climate of the region. Do you think it has, uh, this would be kind of speculation, but do you think it has more to do with the government's restrictions on the firearms or the people just trusting that the government is going to keep them safe and so not as many people are applying for them? Or what do you, what do you think the deterrence was here? Well, there's definitely that cultural component of it. Uh, you know, as Americans, we like to think, okay, everyone has the right to self-defense and to have a firearm and to protect themselves. That is the outlier. That's not like the rest of the world, right? So Europeans, Israelis, and a lot of other countries, they basically depend upon the government uh, to provide security for them. And in Israel's case, they have a very good system, for the most part, security concerning the Iron Dome and special forces and all that. But uh, besides that cultural component of just naturally relying on the government to protect you, I definitely see that there could be some components of uh, government interference along with the history of Israel to basically not really uh, look at personal firearm ownership as a serious thing. Obviously, in the last month, that has changed completely. 
Now, we as Americans, we like to talk a lot about how, well, well, no one's going to attack America and try to actually bring troops in because we've got so many gun owners here. Do you think that that, say, 30 percent of the people own guns there, do you think that that would have made a difference for them, if not stopping Hamas from coming in and doing if at least ending it sooner? It would have definitely deterred them. I mean, let's look at the attack, right? That was at a music festival. And yeah, they had some security forces there, but for the most part, the majority of people were unarmed citizens just enjoying their time at a festival. Uh, they're going for soft targets, much like we see in mass shootings here. Um, so if you actually had a populace who not only were able to defend themselves, but actively trained and let's say carried firearms with them, even in that area at the time, I think that would have served as a massive deterrence for Hamas or anyone else that wanted to do any harm to them. Yeah, I keep, uh, while you're saying that, I keep wondering about why, you know, so many people don't have firearms there. And I just wonder if our, this idea that we're going to protect ourselves from a tyrannical government and and that's why we want to have these guns. I wonder if his, Israelis just don't have that as much because they trust their government maybe of course, I'm not Israeli. I don't know what the actual feeling is there uh, in Israel, but I'm wondering if they just trust their government so much more that there's not this idea that they'll need to, you know, rise up and prevent them from becoming tyrannical. Like, do you think that's the big difference between America and Israel here? I, I think so. I mean, I haven't talked to anyone from Israel, but I do have European friends and their mentality is basically like, why do you need to own a gun? That's a weapon of war. That's a military tool. Citizens don't need that. I mean, we're completely safe within our territory, within our bounds, because the government, the military, the police, etc., are protecting us. So I think it's a combination between that cultural element, but also the fact that they've had hundreds of years of dependency on the government, and that just became instilled within. Whereas here in America, we've been pretty stubborn when it comes to uh, government tyranny and rule over us, and we we're a little more protective of our right to self-defense. So yeah. Uh, it, and it's true also that people in Gaza can't own guns unless they're members of Hamas. Is that right? That's exactly right. I mean, ever since 2006, that's when uh, the Palestinians had their last election. And that's when they uh, elected in Hamas to be the majority party to represent them. Since 2006, they have not had an election. And since then, obviously, uh, the majority of that territory has been run by Hamas terrorists. The people of Gaza are not allowed to own guns. They crack down on any sort of gun ownership, even though there has been an increase in black market supply of guns to the area. Uh, but yes, unless you're a security force, a terrorist, or a high up uh, son of one of the officers, yeah, you're not gonna get a gun. So there's there's something I see uh, from people more on the right a lot, and that's that the uh, people in Gaza elected Hamas as their leadership. But at the same time, I would see, uh, well, we need to have gun ownership here in America to prevent our government from becoming too tyrannical. And I was wondering where you come down on this. When you see someone say, well, they've elected Hamas as their leadership, therefore uh, they're all you know, just as guilty as Hamas or they've chosen this path. Uh, is, that really tr is that really true? Is there a little bit more nuance deserved in that conversation? It's definitely a gray area. I mean, once you take into account the fog of war, Right. I mean, we still don't know what's happening in Ukraine, and that pretty much fell off the face of the earth in mm -hmm. terms of uh, media coverage. Uh, so if we look at you know this uh, conflict, this war right now happening in that area, um, yes, back in 2006, they have elected them. Do we know what percentage of Gaza residents still support Hamas, especially after uh, 
all the bombings and the uh, incursion by Israeli forces? We don't know because the fog of war, we don't have people on the ground. How would we know that? We do know that there are Hamas sympathizers. We do know there are people who are basically begging um, help or to be relieved from Hamas because they're brutalizing the populations as well. I mean, we've seen they have missiles in hospitals and schools. They keep them there as sort of bunker. Uh, so it's not necessarily black and white. We're like, oh, they elected them in. They deserve that versus, oh, they're resisting them. We need to support them 100%. It's a very nuanced conversation that uh, you're not going to really get to the bottom of it in just one or two tweets. Now, uh, what uh, what can Americans take away uh, from this? Say we're trying to defend the Second Amendment and why it is that uh, we should be able to own just say weapons of war or guns in general. How can we? How can we use? Should we use what happened in Israel as an example when defending this against the Twitter trolls online? I mean, the tr- the Twitter trolls are going to believe whatever they want. I mean, I think that's a waste of time. But sell out you. But in terms of that, I mean, if we look at Israel and Gaza, we look at Ukraine, we look at what's happening right now in uh, Darfur, in the Sudan. Uh, apparently no media coverage. You have uh, at least 800 Africans, uh, part of their ethnic minority, they're just massacred by uh, Muslim extremists. And no one's talking about that. There are no protests. You don't see any college students rising up against that. Uh, But that's a conversation for another day. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you see this instance where people are unarmed. That's the fact. Whether government by force or by cultural taboo to own a gun, they're just afraid of it. Regardless of the matter, they are defenseless and they are victimized because of it. So all Americans who want to support Second Amendment and their right to defend themselves and those who, God forbid, they can't physically defend themselves, just need to look at these other parts of the world and say, look, these people are victimized. They are unable physically to protect themselves. We don't want that happening here. We don't want that uh, any abuses of power by the government, by the FBI, CIA, et cetera, coming down on our doors, right? So what do we do? We have to not let them infringe upon our most basic, inalienable right of defending ourselves. Completely agree. And I wanted to, uh, speaking of, we'll shift gears just a little bit to uh, the other article that we can talk about this, uh, today. And it had to do with California and some of the new laws uh, that they have, which honestly, I'll be, I, I don't know that much about. So if you could let people know about... Uh, this newer law in California and some of the challenges that we're probably going to see in court with that. Definitely. Right. So in California, um, the most free state, according to (laughs) Gavin Newsom. Yeah. uh, (laughs) They basically a couple months ago, they passed assembly bill 28, which further restricts Californians in how they may purchase and carry firearms, as well as a proposed excise tax an 11% tax on the sale of firearms and ammunition. So they're coming out and they're saying, oh, this is going to help us uh, reduce gun violence. This will help us fund um, any hospitalization uh, bills or costs in relation to uh, gun wounds or uh, just the medical issues that come about with gun violence. So this tax will basically help Californians uh, support those who are victimized by gun crime. Uh, And that all sounds well and good in, you know, the Twitter sphere or something. But in the reality is when you're the state with the most uh, mass shootings and just higher and higher numbers of gun violence every single year, 
yeah, this excise tax and further restrictions on gun ownership is not going to do much. No, and there are some people challenging this uh, in court. I think maybe the Firearms Policy Coalition uh, you wrote about here. Are, do you think this this is going to hold up? Oh, I think so. Uh, Firearm, Firearms uh, Policy Coalition has been doing great work. Uh, we actually just saw uh, today uh, a judge in Texas, I believe, just uh, shut down the ATF's uh, pistol brace as unconstitutional, their restriction. So if we keep this up, uh, if they keep this up, we will definitely see more judges coming about and realizing that this is just completely flat out unconstitutional because it restricts the private citizens' ability to defend themselves. The right to bear arms shall not be infringed. What do you think is a better argument to make? I always go back and forth if I'm going to argue it on philosophical terms or practical terms uh, as far as gun ownership goes and these laws uh, that people in California, people like people in California want to pass. Uh, you could say, well, they don't work. They just restrict legal gun owners from having guns. Uh, they take away people's right to defend themselves. Or you can make the argument that it doesn't matter if it works or not. People have the right to defend themselves. And therefore, I don't care about what your law says. And uh, so which one do you think is the, the better way to talk about this? Well, I, I tried the legal and historical approach with some people, uh, Californians and spe uh, specifically. They didn't take too kindly to that. <laughs> so I think I'd like to just uh, hone in on the practical aspect of it. I mean, we could look at the history, right, and wax poetic on that all day. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that, that cannot be debated. Uh, it's our God-given given right, and it's enforced and enshrined in the Constitution. Great. But in the reality of the situation is every place that has heightened gun control measures, you have... California, you have cities like New York, Chicago, et cetera. You find a population that obviously they are uh, law-abiding citizens. They don't want to break the law so that they are disarmed or impeded from owning and operating firearms for their protection. Meanwhile, who are the people who have the guns? The criminals. Mm. Shocking. Uh, so despite this rise in crime, I mean, we can just look at Oakland, California. You have an increase in... Uh, in thefts, in robberies, and assaults. And people are begging uh, their district attorney to do something about it, and they're not doing anything. They don't care because they have the votes to keep them in power. So if we are debating or having conversation with people who, like other people in the world, just think guns are a taboo, they shouldn't have them, you need to basically um, appeal to their emotion, right? Mm -hmm. So what if, God forbid, you're in that situation where someone's uh, breaking into your house or they're sticking up with a gun. We just saw the a few days ago, I believe, there was a the father in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, he was coming home from the gym and two assailants coming up trying to rob or kill him, we don't know. And he defended himself. He had a CCW and he warded them off. God forbid what would have happened to his family if, if they broke in. So you have these instances where especially Americans, they think they're safe in their community or in their neighborhood. Oh, this will never happen to me until it happens. So it's always better to mm -hmm. err on the side of safety than, oh, well, the government's going to help me because well, you know that, that worked out. That father wouldn't have had to worry about that if we just would have gotten the guns out of the hands of those criminals, though, right? I mean, he wouldn't have, if people can't have guns, then we don't have to worry about being safe anymore. You're absolutely right. I mean, just because there's almost 400 million registered firearms in this country and an open border, oh yeah, let's just take them all away, no problem. <laughs> to me, that's the, 
at at the end of the day, like you said, we could talk about the we could talk about the philosophical beliefs behind it. But when you've got 450 million guns, you've got a 2,000 mile long border uh, on 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 both sides. They're they're not going to be able to get the guns out of the people, even if you decided that was a good idea. Like, let's say we all agreed that that's what we were going to do. They still mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to do it. Most of the people who want to take guns away have probably done some drugs in their life that was illegal for people to possess. So it's just a non-starter. It's not even possible. Exactly. I mean, if we were in this like utopia, 100% of Americans like, yeah, we'll give up all our guns. That's great. How are you going to affect, uh, how are you going to dissuade the, the gun smugglers, the people who print them in grandma's basement, <laughs> uh, the ones who are dropped by storks from the sky? You know, <laughs> it's, it's a physical impossibility. I mean, just look at Europe. Obviously, it's not as common because they don't have the amount, the volume of guns as we do, but you're seeing a prevalence of more shootings in Europe right now. Hmm. Why is that? Well, their laws don't really prevent people who want to commit crimes from bringing in guns. And that's why law-abiding citizens should be able to protect themselves. Um, Yeah, completely agree. What other kind of stuff do you, this is our first time talking, so what other kind of stuff do you write about? What what are we going to have you on to talk about in the future? A lot, a lot more stuff, hopefully, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so but besides the law enforcement, so I write about gun rights, uh, two-way rights. I also talk about um, economic uh, policy and issues. For example, the FedNow uh, rollout that just happened a couple months ago, uh, which is basically a form of um, third-party system where the government, the Federal Reserve, is basically uh, assisting in payment plans uh, and they espouse it as a base of, you know, it's efficient, it's easy, you're going to get your money quicker. But people don't know that the Fed is now going to be uh, having eyes on your bank account and every single mm. one of your transactions. So I like to poke the veil and make people aware of the little tiny infringements government is basically impeding in their lives. So that's what I write about. Well, economics is our favorite thing to talk about over here. So we'll definitely have you back on to talk about that. Now, uh, let everyone know where they can go to follow more of your work. Hey, if you want to follow my work, you guys can follow me at Connor underscore Vasile on Twitter or X. Uh, we have some nice, good, spicy takes there. Uh, and yeah, I'm writing every time. You can see updates on my writing there. All right, Connor, thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait to have you back.